want to tell you about a gentleman who was driving a bus of senior Christmas shoppers. When all of a sudden this little old lady, she taps him on the shoulder and she offers him a handful of almonds in which he immediately munched up. After approximately 15 minutes, she taps him on the shoulder again, hands him almonds, he eats them. She repeats this like eight times. Finally, after the ninth time, he looks at her and he says, you know, what's, what's going on? Why aren't you yourself eating the almonds? She said, well, it's not possible because of my teeth. I can't chew them. He said, well, why are you buying them in the first place? The old lady answered, I just love the chocolate around them. The name of tonight's message is Mary Had a Little Lamb. Paul Smith said, a virgin birth seems the most appropriate and creative way for God to enter his world. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to God redeeming us back to himself. But those epic events were preceded by the virgin birth and incarnation. Being conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, the eternal Son of God received a human body, was made flesh, and escaped the sin nature that had plagued the human race since the fall of man. This made Jesus uniquely qualified to be our Savior and our Redeemer. Let's go over to Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. It says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had power of death. Only in this way he set free all those who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So Jesus came down to the earth, first of all, to break the power of the devil, to break the power of death and set us free from being a slave to the devil. I don't know about you, but that excites me that I am no longer under bondage by the devil. There are certain people that, oh, the devil made me do it. No, the devil can't make you do anything if you're a child of God. We, by our choice, choose who we will serve, either the Lord or the devil. So when we go over to John 1.14, the Bible tells us here that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became human, and he took residence on the earth. There are some people that can't comprehend that in their brain, that Almighty God could actually come and be flesh and blood. The Bible tells us in Philippians that he emptied himself, which is the Greek word kenosis. And what that means is he laid aside all his divine rights and privileges to become a true human being. How did the word who preexisted with God and was himself God become flesh? Well, let's go over to Isaiah 7.14. In Isaiah 7, 14, the Bible says here that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, 
The virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I want you to think of how incredible it would be that God living up in heaven, pearly gates, streets of gold, mansions, that he would decide to come down to this sinful earth and reside with us for a period of time. Mary had a little lamb. This is what this scripture is telling us, that the virgin will conceive a child. So Isaiah's prophecy, which was given 700 years before the birth of Christ, this was not the first indication of a special offspring from a woman. Let's go back to Genesis 3, verse 14, and let's look at the first prophecy of what would be a virgin birth. In Genesis 3.14, Adam and Eve have now sinned. They have disobeyed God, and God is sending down some consequences as a result of that disobedience. And he begins, begins to speak to the serpent, who is represented by the devil, and it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, which is hostility, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So immediately after the fall, God informs the serpent about the future work of the seed of a woman. Now, from a biological standpoint, it is man that carries seed. However, in this case, by indicating that seed would come from a woman, it is indicating a virgin birth, which is a miraculous thing that nobody has ever seen before or since. The seed of the woman is a prophetic description of Jesus, the one who would bring destruction to the kingdom of darkness, just as the serpent had brought great harm to the human race. Charles Wesley penned in his magnificent hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, he recognized Christ as the seed of the woman in the lyric, Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruising us the serpent's head. By Jesus coming to bruise the serpent's head, the head represents authority. It meant he was taking the authority back from the devil and reclaiming it for mankind. Go over to Galatians 3.16, and let's continue to look at this word seed and how scriptures talk about it. It says in Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So right there, Paul specifically addresses the Galatians and proves that that seed is referring to Jesus Christ. That seed, or what I would call little lamb, would bring the fall of Satan and his kingdom. Go over to 1 John 3, 8. And we're going to see what Jesus came to do, in case we're wondering. 
In 1 John 3, 8, it says this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came, born of a virgin. God took on flesh, dwelt among us to destroy the works of the devil, which means the devil no longer has power over you. You have authority over him. Jesus was born with a mission to accomplish. And the Bible tells us right here what that mission was. So what we have is that the Son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. As a result of what Jesus did, you are now grafted into the family of God. You reside with him for eternity. Let's go to Matthew 1, and let's look at verses 18 through 25. And we're going to look at the story of the birth of Jesus. And when we say the birth, understand we're, we're talking about his human birth. He was preexistent since the beginning of time. In Matthew 1, 18 through 25, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and they shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So the Bible is very specific here that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit and did not have sexual relations with Joseph until after Jesus was born. Why is the Bible so adamant about telling us that? Because we must accept that it was a virgin birth. Luke's account is the most detailed. He most likely interviewed Mary himself. Discussing the events of Jesus' life with witnesses is how Luke actually compiled his gospel. So in Luke 2.19 the Bible says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary did not share intimate details about the birth of Jesus to just anyone. So in Luke 1, 26 through 35, the Bible says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, 
to a virgin named Mary. Again, emphasizing she's a virgin. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God gave him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. The Bible talks about the word having creative effect, that God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. So all he had to do was speak a word in order for Mary to become impregnated with what would be the future Savior. When Luke interviewed Mary, is it possible that he heard certain details from the lips of Mary that she had never shared with anyone before? Precious truths that she had been treasuring in her heart. Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born in Bethlehem, and later anointed by the Holy Spirit for ministry. But I want you to think about this. That happening in those days had to create rumors. I mean, imagine if someone came to you, if you had a daughter and she came to you and said, hey, Dad, I'm pregnant but it's by the Holy Spirit that would cause you to kind of ponder that a little bit. So Jesus had a heated exchange with the Pharisees when they questioned his identity and that of his father. In John 8, 19, 25, 39, and 41. John 8, 19, 25, 39, and 41. It says, then they said to him, they're speaking of Jesus. These are the Pharisees. Where is your father? Then they said, who are you? They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. For them to say that to Jesus, they're indicating that he was born of fornication. They didn't buy into the virgin birth. Noted commentator William Barclay says of this verse, it is certainly true in later times that Jews spread abroad a most malicious slander against Jesus. The Christians very early preached about the miraculous birth of Jesus. The Jews put it about that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph, that her paramour had been a Roman soldier named Panthera, and that Jesus was the child of this adulterous union. 
Is it possible that the Jews were flinging at Jesus even then an insult over his birth? As if to say, what right do you have to speak to us like you do? This not only proves how crass the religious people were to make such an insinuation, but it also indicates that perhaps false rumors had been circulating about the unique nature and timing of Jesus' birth for some time. We keep emphasizing the virgin birth because it is crucial to understanding who our Savior is. But again, there are those who cannot possibly comprehend that God came to earth in the form of man. I want you to listen to a story that Paul Harvey did in 1965 that I think brings a little bit of clarity to this. Americans, may I direct your attention to a story which was originally published by United Press International by Lewis Castles, a longtime friend of mine and colleague. He and I tried for many years to trace the author of these words. We never could. And it occurs to me that maybe some things, some things are supposed to be written without credit to any particular individual. Let's see what you think after you hear this Christmas story. The Christmas story, the way it's usually told, the God born a man in a manger and all of that, escapes some moderns, mostly, I think, because they seek complex answers to their questions, and this one is so utterly simple. So for the cynics and the skeptics and the unconvinced, I'd like to submit this modern parable. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. 
And inside the barn he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. So God came down to be like us so that he could relate to us and we could relate to him. Go over to Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. If you consider yourself a believer, then you must embrace the plain teaching of what the Scripture says. In Galatians 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus' conception was anything but normal. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary without a natural biological father. He was born of a woman and was manifested in the flesh. He became like us, 
so that he could relate to us and we could relate to him. There are many powerful voices from church history, especially shortly after the apostolic era, that testify of the virgin birth. Ignatius of Antioch said he was truly born of a virgin. He is God existing in the flesh, true life and death. He is born of Mary and of God. Justice Martyr said we even affirm that he was born of a virgin. Martin Luther said the Son of God did not want to be seen and found in heaven. Therefore, he descended from heaven into this humanity and came to us in our flesh, laid himself in the womb of his mother and into the manger and went to the cross. This was the ladder he placed on the earth so that we may ascend to God on it. This is the way that you must take. Oswald Chambers said, if we accept that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God, does not belief in the virgin birth become logically inevitable? Who could be the Father of the Son of God but God himself? And Warren Worsby said, the virgin birth of Christ is a key doctrine. For if Jesus Christ is not God, come in sinless human flesh, then we have no Savior. Jesus had to be born of a virgin apart from human generation because he existed before his mother. He was not just born in this world. He came down from heaven into this world. Jesus was sent by the Father and therefore came into the world having a human mother but not a human father. Had Jesus not miraculously been conceived by the Holy Spirit, he would not be qualified to be our Savior. Someone who rejects the supernatural claim of the Bible will not only reject the human virgin birth, but they will also reject the resurrection of Christ and the miracles of the Bible. The truth is that our Christian faith is a supernatural faith. Jesus physically entered the earth through a supernatural act, the virgin birth, and left the earth through another supernatural act, the ascension. Let's look at one last scripture. Go over to John 129. John 1.29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mary had a little lamb. And that lamb came, and he devised a way to remove the penalty of your sin from your life. To truly celebrate Christ, we must embrace the fact that God has supernaturally intervened on our behalf to do everything that was necessary to rescue us from the grip of sin and death. This involved God the Son being born of a virgin and Jesus being raised from the dead after he had died for our sins. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what I believe. Amen? So we must 
except that that Lamb of God was necessary to dwell among us, that he gave up his earthly rights and privileges to become a true human being so that you could be set free.